0: The following program was pre recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. It's time now for a smart, plain talk
1: regarding politics, Israel, and the law. This is the Victory Hour with Andrew Parker, a Parker Daniels keyboard. Wise counsel, winning results. Now, here's your host, Andrew Parker. I'm impressed with my attorney, Bernie. I'm impressed with his influential friends. He's got very big connections and I follow his directions. Bernie knows his words. It's Sunday, 4 so o'clock. Do what what does that mean? It means it's the best hour in radio of the week. With my it is the victory Club. hour. I'm Andrew Parker. and I'm impressed. As you know, every story. week, every Sunday, He's 4 o'clock,
0: boxes, and
1: we are. On 1280 AM, The Patriot, talking politics, Israel, and the law. And I welcome you once again, and I thank you for joining us. All of our regular listeners, of which we have many coast-to-coast listening live or live streaming calls from New York to Florida, up here certainly in Minnesota, down to Texas and over to uh, California. We even go overseas. We've got listeners uh, in Israel, in the sta- Jewish state of Israel, uh, as well as in the uh, UK and uh, Australia. Did you see they recently uh, elected a left government in Australia after nine years of a conservative, uh, or at least right of center, uh, government running? the country of Australia, they have gone to a left government. We'll see how that works for them. We are honored today to have a very special guest on the Victory Hour, recently endorsed Republican candidate for governor, the state of Minnesota, Dr. Scott Jensen. But he is not a newcomer to the Victory Hour, oh no. He is now, uh, this will be his fourth visit to the show. Uh, and uh, I believe the first and second visits were even before he was considering or certainly announced uh, his run for governor. As Dr. Jensen has an acute understanding of the issues that are facing us all today in a number of areas, uh, not least of which as it relates to health care, as it relates to medical care for all of us during a pandem- uh, pandemic and post-pandemic period. We're going to talk to Dr. Jensen uh, about that, as well as a number of other issues, including... Uh, opening discussion about a debrief on the Republican National Convention, or uh, State Convention. And uh, it was an interesting convention, no doubt. Uh, We'll get an update from someone who was right there working the floor, victoriously, as many people, when Dr. Jensen first announced Didn't give him much of a chance in the Republican Party. He's a newcomer. He's he's an outsider, if you will, in politics. He's not a politician, uh, lifelong or otherwise politician. Uh, He has uh, run for office before at the state legislative level, but uh, certainly that's fairly recent as well. So uh, this is someone who leads with common sense, who challenges narratives to drill down to make sure that those narratives make sense, meet our common sense. And his messages have been resonating spectacularly, really, uh, to bring him from... Uh, somewhat uh, obscurity, though over the time of the pandemic he has had both state and national coverage regarding his opinions, Uh, but somewhat uh, obscurity to the really the uh, banner carrier for the entire Republican Party, a leader within the Republican Party here in the state of Minnesota, and you'll be facing off with Governor Tim Walz. Before we get to Dr. Jensen, uh, jot this down with your number two pencil and your yellow pad. Uh, The coming weeks and uh, what's going to be happening on the Victory Hour, we hope to have uh, Don Samuels on in the next couple of weeks. Past Minneapolis City Council member for many, many years, uh, Don Samuels, who now is running in a primary to be the Democratic nominee for uh, Congressional Seat 5 in the state of Minnesota. That would be against, yes, Ilhan Omar. So Don Samuels running against Ilhan Omar in the Democratic primary. We're going to have Samuels on, see uh, how he plans to defeat Ilhan Omar in the primary and what his chances are. It'll be interesting to hear because the last candidate that tried to do it got swamped by the number of votes that Ilhan Omar brought in. So that's coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks. Uh, Make sure to join us for that. We're going to have a number of others on over the month of uh, June, including uh, hopefully Tina Smith uh, will be joining us. Hear what she has to say about what's happening in Washington. Uh, And uh, we're going to have candidates in the congressional races uh, joining us over the next several weeks. But today we're talking gubernatorial politics, and we have with us the recently minted endorsed candidate for the Republican Party, Dr. Scott Jensen. Uh, Many of you now know Scott Jensen and uh, uh, know him fairly well. He's a uh, doctor having graduated from the University of Minnesota after having grown up here in a lifelong uh, Minnesotan, graduated valedictorian high school. He was magna cum laude uh, in his degree at uh, Luther Theological Seminary Uh, and uh, this is someone who really is down-to-earth, straightforward. You can understand where he's coming from, and he explains his positions. Like them or not, they are common sense, and we welcome uh, for yet another visit and a pleasurable one on the Victory Hour, Dr. Scott Jensen.
0: Thank you, Andrew, for having me
1: on. Absolutely, I you know I was not at the Republican convention. I've heard a good deal uh, about it, but I want to get your take on how the convention went, and maybe you can give us uh, some inside information as to uh, what it's like to be at a uh, convention, a state party convention here in uh, Minnesota.
0: It certainly was an emotional roller coaster for my wife and I, and so many of our supporters and our team. I remember the convention in 2002 when Pawlenty and Sullivan were facing off, and I think it was 13 or 14 ballots and 4 o'clock in the morning. But this convention had additional complicating factors, such as a hard stop at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. So if there were no endorsement by then, this would be problematic. We also had, I think, 56% of the attendees, the voting delegates, were new. They'd never been there before. So it was topsy-turvy and in the end I think it ended up being establishment versus outsiders and I think the delegates that really pushed us over the goal line were Jensen delegates, Murphy delegates, Shaw delegates and I think Kendall Qualls had the support of Benson and Gazelka delegates but I think in the end it was uh, loud fresh highly engaged voices saying enough we want the straight truth we want it from someone who's not a career politician We want someone who's
1: going to say it the way they see it. And that would be Dr. Scott Jensen, who's joining us on the Victory Hour today. Uh, Endorsed candidate by the Republican Party to face off against Tim Walls. And when we come back after this short break, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Republican Convention. But we're going to uh, shift to talk about voters, uh, what voters are interested in out there, what his campaign will look like uh, to... to, uh, Uh, extend to those voters uh, a common sense understanding that he cares and understands their issues we're going to talk about COVID uh, critical race theory uh, children in mass what's going on at our schools and education big issues with Dr. Scott Jensen so stay with us we'll be back after this short break in the meantime go to parkerdk.com and you know what else Shut this down. Offer code VICTORY. Buy some MyPillow products. Why? Because I got most of them and they are awesome. MyPillow.com. Offer code VICTORY for up to 66% off. We'll be right back with Dr. Scott Jensen on the Victory Hour. And we are joined today by repeat guest, special guest, though, uh, Dr. Scott Jensen. And this time he comes to the victory hour carrying the endorsement of the Republican Party in the state of Minnesota to run for governor against current governor Tim Walls. Jot this down on your yellow pad and with your number two pencil. I've got my sharpener right here, the Boston hand crank sharpener. And... uh, You know, because electronics oftentimes break down, I rely on my Boston hand crank. Never a problem. And as a lawyer, you got to make sure you got writing utensils and they work. So I'm uh, ready and I hope you are to jot this down. Next week, Memorial Day weekend, on the show, congressional candidate for the first congressional district in the state of Iowa, Zach Nunn, uh, will be with us. Military veteran Zach Nunn running for... Congress to uh, turn a Democratic seat down in Iowa red, and I think he's got a very good shot at doing it. You will be very impressed with Zach Nunn. Uh, So listen, uh, next week on uh, Memorial Day uh, weekend, uh, to the victory hour for Zach Nunn, who will be joining us. So we turn uh, back to uh, Dr. Scott Jensen, who's with us and uh, running for governor. He just got the endorsement last week. He was talking on the other side of the break about the endorsing convention. Maybe you can give us a little bit of detail of how the ballots uh, went and, and kind of put people in the room as what is the feel at a convention? Many of our listeners have never been to one. The election
0: really excuse me, the convention was almost fever pitch because the ballots would take place and the actual voting would take about five minutes. And then there'd be a gap of time, whether it be 5, 10, or 20 minutes. Sometimes there was an opportunity to give speeches, follow-up speeches. Sometimes there wasn't, depending upon the rules of the convention. But in between the ballots, you were busy working the floor, talking with people, finding out what might hold them back. We were seeing people drop off if they weren't meeting the criteria. 10, 15 percent, they would be dropping off automatically. And then the question would be, would that candidate swing their votes to one of the other candidates that was still on the ballot? So there's a lot of conversation. And literally, the word that comes to my mind is bedlam. It was noisy. And as we got into the uh, later ballots, the 7th and 8th and ninth ballots, excuse me, 7th and 8th ballots. How many ballots did it go total? I believe it went to nine ballots. Okay. But... The latter ones, initially, I was in the lead the first couple of ballots. Then it sort of leveled out, and it was very apparent that there were three candidates at that point, um, Kendall Qualls and uh, Mike Murphy and myself. And then Mike started to lose some some support, and he recognized that. And Kendall and I were both, if you will, gaining some of the people that were leaving Mike's um, balloting and his voter block. And at one point in time, I think Mike realized that he had the opportunity and, if you will, the presence to say, okay, I can have a huge impact on this this outcome. And so I think he had conversations with both camps. I'm not privy to what the conversation was with the Qualls camp, but when he came to me, uh, I said that I was extremely impressed with Mike Murphy's ability to engage the issues in sort of a a raw American style. It wasn't filled with language that might be difficult to understand or that might be potentially twisted either way. Mike was very clear cut and he has an ability to energize the audience. And I think that from my perspective, I told Mike, I, I would love to have his energy his counsel and his support. And I also would like to continue the relationship I have with him because Mike was the first one on the trail, and I joined about a month later. And so we've had a chance to build a relationship over 15 months. And I think oftentimes relationships in adulthood, they can grow rapidly. 15 months is a long time to build a relationship as adults. It might not be so long when you're a teenager, but I think one of the first experiences I noticed in college was once you're outside your home and you're no longer under your mom and dad's roof, relationships really do grow and they grow on multiple dimensions, intellectually, uh, kindness, uh, common interests. So uh, Mike and I have a good relationship and he made the decision he was going to come on board and support us. And that was the moment when uh, M- Matt Burke and Mike Murphy and I went out on the stage and the place went, went wild. And I knew in that moment uh, that my wife has asked me, when did you feel elation? And that was the moment right then and there. Yeah
1: there it is the republican convention uh you know as if you were there uh, well described you know i i want to talk a little bit about uh tim walls uh first we've talked about it in the past a little bit uh on the show uh, uh scott and, and you know we've we've gotten to know each other uh, quite a bit, having, having met outside of uh, the radio show, but also on the show a number of times. And, uh, you know, you are someone who I know respects the position as well as the title, but certainly the job of governor of the state of Minnesota, the, the single person that really leads uh, the state and who the citizens of the state of Minnesota will look to uh, for that leadership uh, uh... and and particularly on big issues and and troublesome issues Um how do you think tim walls has done as the leader on the big issues
0: well i think tim's leadership style emerges pretty clearly i think that he frequently checks out which way the winds of political thought are blowing i'm more of a teddy roosevelt kind of guy well, I think Roosevelt said when it comes time to making tough decisions, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing you can do is the wrong thing, but the worst thing you can do is nothing. And I think so oftentimes uh, Governor Walz was willing to do nothing. Even in the midst of the riots, I think he froze. It was unclear to him. How does he balance supporting the rioters and the demonstrators uh, against uh, the role of being governor and protecting all Minnesotans? So in terms of his willingness to stand up, for the security and the benefit and the protection of all Minnesotans. I don't think that happened. I think we even see it in the legislative process where frequently Governor Walls and his team are always constantly measuring what's the politi- political ramification. For, on a contrast, my style of leadership is going to be to be very transparent. I will speak the truth as I see it, regardless of how much trouble I'll get myself into, because I think a leader has to be willing to get into hot water at times. I resist groupthink, and yet I want to respect the people that I'm speaking with. And I think people saw me in the midst of the COVID pandemic as being someone who is unflinching. And I'm going to speak for all Minnesotans because that's the job.
1: Even when you were attacked, by the way, uh, legally and uh, in the narrative of uh, you know the political polemic.
0: I was attacked in a way that I've never been attacked before. I went from being the family doctor of the year in Minnesota in 2016 to the most investigated physician, which really wasn't a badge of honor that I had hoped to carry, but I didn't flinch and I won't. I have a moral compass that I feel very comfortable with. And it's, if, if you will, it's, it's composed of core convictions, but I think that there are so many issues facing Minnesotans today. And I, I want to speak to those issues. I want to trailblaze those issues. I want to be a part of that conversation as a leader I think oftentimes, especially in the legislative arena, the last thing we should be doing is legislating and making more laws. Frequently, we should be leading the conversation and linking people together who are more knowledgeable than us. I'm proud of the fact that I'm a skeptic, but I also think that in this day and age where we don't have the Walter Cronkite's anymore, we now have a media that has been tarnished with partisanship, and it's not even subtle. So I think Americans across the land have got to be skeptical of their of their own, if you will, ingestion of the news. That means that we don't get to not analyze what we're seeing. In other words, when we see theater on the news, we got to call it out. That's theater. When we see virtue signaling, we've got to call that out. That's virtue signaling. That isn't real. That's a sham. And I think many Minnesotans have seen that with Governor Walz. They feel like, are you really the person that you say you are? Are you really committed to one Minnesota? Because if you are, how do you, how do you call the National Guard 19-year-old cooks? And how do you denigrate the people in greater Minnesota by referring to them as rocks and cows? That just doesn't seem or feel respectful. So at that point in time, I think you have to be skeptical of this notion of his as one Minnesota. It appears to be nothing more than just a political slogan.
1: We're talking to Dr. Scott Jensen, Republican candidate, endorsed Republican candidate, for governor to run against Tim Walls On the other side of this short break, uh, we're going to talk about the key voter that will likely decide the election for governor in the state of Minnesota. There are many voters in outstate Minnesota that are going to vote for the Republican candidate no matter who they are. There are many voters in Minneapolis and St. Paul that are going to vote for the Democratic candidate no matter who they are, no matter what they say. The deciding voter may well be that suburban voter in the state of Minnesota. We're going to talk to uh, Dr. Jensen about how he speaks to that voter and how he gets them back to vote red when in the last election, many of them voted blue. And I want to hear from Dr. Jensen about the comparison uh, that he can shed between himself to that suburban voter and... Governor Tim Walls. It'll be interesting. Stay with us. We'll be back after this short break. Again, go to ParkerDK.com, Premier Law Firm, downtown Minneapolis, and we are broadcasting right now from the Parker Daniels Keyboard Studio at the Premier Litigation Law Firm in downtown Minneapolis, PDK. Go to ParkerDK.com. We'll be right back. Victory Hour. I'm Andrew Parker, and I'm here today with our special guest, Republican-endorsed candidate for governor, Dr. Scott Jensen, and we're talking about the issues now. We're talking about the comparison between how Dr. Jensen would handle or would have handled some of the issues facing the governor of the state of Minnesota versus how Tim Walls handled them and how we can expect him to handle them uh, going forward. And as I mentioned on the other side of the break, speaking to suburban voters may be the critical difference in winning this upcoming uh, election. Any Republican running statewide in Minnesota is running uh, into headwinds, sometimes strong, sometimes weak, but headwinds, uh, most all the time, which is one of the reasons why a Republican has not won statewide since, I believe, 2006, uh, a number of years. And, and that occurred when Tim Pawlenty uh, barely eked out a victory over uh, Mike Hatch and Judy Dutcher due to the last couple of weeks of that election where there was quite a gaffe by uh, the lieutenant governor in that in that race. Uh, So it may not have even happened then. But uh, into a very strong Democratic year, Tim Pawlenty did prevail. But since then, Republicans have not won statewide at all. So what is it that's going to make the difference this time? Let's talk about how we speak to suburban voters about COVID and about Tim Wall's handling of COVID about his handling of lockdowns, mask requirements, vaccine requirements, and how you might have handled it uh, differently, Dr. Jensen.
0: I think the suburban voter is going to be critically important. I think it's perhaps rather than try to profile that voter, we could speak to the issue of needing to do far better with the engaged women across Minnesota
1: These are common sense voters. That's what they are.
0: And we need to to go to the minority communities and we need to go to the Gen Zs and the millennials. But I think what we need to do is, and I'm not sure the Republican Party is so, so good at this, but we need to ask questions before we preach. We need to ask, is your life better than it was two years ago? Do you feel freer? Do you feel like government has stayed its course or do you think it's expanded at a rate that you never would have thought possible? Are you feeling safer? Do you feel okay about letting the kids out in the front yard? Are you able to get the baby formula you need? Is it okay that you're spending nearly $100 to fill your gas tank? Do you think that the supply chains are in the process of being repaired, or do you think it's going to get worse? Are you able to buy an appliance when you need it? And I think when you ask these questions, I think we're seeing over and over again a profound skepticism. I'm asking people, is California the role model you want us to follow? Because I think when you start asking those questions, what you start to do for people is you're elucidating what Governor Walls has been about in his policies. I would say this, that the lockdowns clearly have not provided the kinds of public health guarantees that you won't get the disease. I think the concept of one size fits all has been an absolute sham. The idea of treating Kitson County and northwestern Minnesota the same as Hennepin County is unbelievably irresponsible. I think when you... When you look at the policies that created a pipeline of active disease into the nursing homes, and the response at that point was to lock families out and lock patients in, this caused numerous deaths, frequently having nothing to do with COVID, frequently having to do with the fact that the medication programs were off kilter because there was no advocate, there was no family member. Frankly, even physicians quit going to the nursing home you know, with there, the same right. There were
1: twelve thousand eight hundred deaths. I believe is the latest count or or something in that range uh, deaths in the state of Minnesota from COVID according to the manner in which they count deaths from COVID, which we've talked about in the past as a question mark, but even accepting that number uh, as true, I went and tried to do some research to get a breakdown by age of, of, of the uh, deaths to to see whether well did we take care of those who were most vulnerable or did we have these wide sweeping policies across the entire population and not focus on uh, the the age categories that were and I couldn't find on the Minnesota website a breakdown by age of those who died, as if they didn't want anyone to know that. And I looked fairly deeply. I'm sure it it may well be there and I missed it.
0: Uh, The Department of Health has repeatedly demonstrated a willingness to reshape what they're telling us. They've done that over and over again. If the data looks too encouraging, it was knocked down. We saw that over and over again. I think that we saw the goalposts being moved. Everybody in Minnesota wanted to play their fair share and do their part in the beginning when it was to flatten the curve and not overwhelm our healthcare facilities. But we saw the goalposts being moved quickly. We saw models that had no sense at all. We had young people involved in creating a model that would devastate businesses, and that was okay for people. We saw emergency powers used not as a response tool to an emergency, but it was used as nothing more than political leverage as uh, budgets were fought over. We saw a total lack of transparency. We saw science absolutely sacrificed at the altar of political science as we were told that natural immunity had no play in this COVID pandemic, which now finally people are recognizing that that's not true.
1: And that's something you've been saying for a long time. And, and, and uh, the governor and Jan Malcolm, his, uh, his, his you know, secretary of health up there in the cabinet, uh, t- took the position that, oh, no, you know, let's let's get a uh, let's file a complaint against Dr. Jensen. So he has to. And, you know, well, they didn't. But but others uh, were investigating you uh, for taking positions that now they are taking. And as it relates to this vaccine, I read an article this week uh, where a uh, 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 vice president of Pfizer, who knows about the issues related to these vaccines, uh, made the statement that. The idea of universal vaccination, required vaccination, anyone who pushes that should be guilty of crimes against humanity. That is a quote from him. And this is someone inside as vice president uh, of of, uh, Pfizer. And I assume because people all have different issues. Universal vaccination, good
0: idea? Absolutely not. Health freedom has got to be held up as... The immense concept that it is, if you don't have health freedom, you don't have freedom. You really don't. We need to get back to basics. It's interesting that the president of Pfizer, the chair of Pfizer, came out recently and talked sort of in sort of a, almost a, a wishful manner about the potential value of having people swallow a, a capsule or a pill that would have a chip inside it that would be able to determine for the government whether or not we had been compliant So between the vice president and the president of a company of Pfizer, we're seeing some far-reaching concepts being broadcast out there with really a remarkable willingness to be transparent on this. They're not even subtle about this. I think that we need to – frankly, I think what people are going to see over the next six months is my running mate, Matt Burke, and I are going to say, folks, it's time to get back to basics. Do you think government's working for you or against you? Do you think government can really make that arbitrary decision as to whether or not your business is essential or non-essential, safe or non-safe? Since when did the Constitution in the United States give this kind of expansive power to the government? When did President Biden get the right to say on September 9th, 2021, if you've got more than 100 employees, you you vaccinate them or they're fired? This was but what,
1: what about the government taking your kids in the classroom and teaching them things that you adamantly oppose and are not true and, and are recreation revisionism.
0: I think we have to go back to the mission of an education. The reason we have compulsory education is not so that they can be indoctrinated, it's so that our citizenry will be stronger. If everybody knows how to do some reading and writing and arithmetic, that makes us a stronger nation. Everybody can sign a contract, read a contract, start a business. This is why we do this. This is a selfish motivation for our country, as well it should be. We want an educated citizenry. We do not want an indoctrinated citizenry. Every Everybody who's been talking about this recognizes that what we're really feeling is a A dystopian society emerging, almost feeling like a George Orwell book or Hunger Games. And we're saying, how in the devil did this happen in such a short period of time? But the fact is, Andy, it was really starting a while back. We had Common Core. We had profiles of learning. We are learning that politicians will put a fancy label on a program that sucks. No child left behind. How could you argue with that? No child left behind. Sounds wonderful. All of a sudden, we're going to have candy canes falling from the sky. But the fact of the matter is we were complacent. Critical race theory was identified for what it was by a lot of mama bears and warrior dads. And we owe them a debt of gratitude for standing up, being at school board meetings, having the FBI possibly investigate them. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is they were the ones who elevated this issue. And not again will we do this. No more standing on the sidelines. No more being complacent.
1: We're talking to uh, Dr. Scott Jensen. Endorsed. Republican candidate for governor to run against uh, Tim Walls in the fall. It is a very important election. Can we handle four more years of, you know, sticking your finger up in the wind to see which way the public polling goes? Or do we need common sense application of policy? That's what the voters in Minnesota are going to be uh, deciding. And we're talking about the suburban voter. It's not the only voter in Minnesota, for sure, but a very important voter, no doubt. And when we come back, we're going to talk about K 12 education as we just started to. How might a Governor Scott Jensen redesign K 12 education so it works for us as parents, so it works? for our kids, and so that it doesn't sell out to public sector labor unions. It is the Victory Hour. We'll be right back. It's Smart plain Talk. That's all it is, and that's why we've had Scott Jensen on four times now. Smart plain Talk. Go to parkerdk.com to learn about the best in litigation, the best in trial work, wise counsel winning results, parkerdk.com. We'll be right back on the Victory Hour. back it's the victory hour for our final segment talking with dr scott jensen endorsed candidate for governor of the state of minnesota to run against uh, governor tim walls and we have shifted our attention to uh education public education k-12 education uh in minnesota and what our kids are being taught uh You know, many have been wringing their hands, many parents have been wringing their hands over the control that the public sector labor unions have in our education system. And the Democratic Party has not just allowed that to happen, but they've championed it. In fact, uh, as you know, uh, Dr. Jensen was in the state legislature before uh, he decided to uh, run for governor. And uh, so he is familiar with the number of teachers in the state legislature that go from being a teacher or while they are a teacher running for office and getting elected in Democratic districts and then affecting legislative process uh, regarding education and uh, feather bedding uh, their place with Uh, legislation that helps public sector unions. They put teachers in to make the decisions in the legislature as well as in our classroom. How does that system work well, and is there a redesign that you think might work better?
0: Andrew, it's going to come back to uh, We the People. I take care of a lot of teachers in my medical practice. I was on the school board for 10 years and chairman three years. I know a lot of teachers, and they're not happy. Teachers go into teaching to touch kids' lives. But you will see, at Minnesota, you will see these public sector unions pick off a few people that are, if you will, they're outliers, they're way left, and they will be held up as demonstrative of the teaching profession. You'll see the same thing in medicine. You'll see the American Medical Association hold up its very small minority of physicians who actually belong to the, to the AMA and hold them up as, as those who would speak for our profession and nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, The fact of the matter is that uh, teachers know that most teachers, most good teachers, they understand a a bit about child development. For instance, the first two years of life, pretty much a a newborn is learning through the senses, taste, smell, hearing, vision, touch. And then the next five to ten years, a lot of it is labels, a lot of it is symbols. And this is where we're seeing the, the unions really pick on these kids. They're not liberating these kids' lives. They're controlling and indoctrinating them. If you take a four- and five-year-old, you're going through and you're helping them label A looks like A, B looks like B, and then they'll do two plus two equals four. That's where they're really susceptible to all these labels. So what the Ed Minnesota is doing is they're saying, well, we're going to highlight not the commonalities between Johnny and Janie. We're going to highlight the differences. We're going to say that you are oppressed or you are a racist or you are superior or whatever. It makes no sense at all. We have to we have to be rec- a cognizant of how do we develop as humans? Because once we get to that age of 10 to 12, we become more concrete sequential. And finally, in the teen years, we start to become more abstract thinkers. But I think Ed Minnesota is taking advantage of kids' developmental stages at every level, not because they want to do what's right for the child's development but because they're most susceptible this is at one level or another it's brainwashing we have got to go back to the mission of what we're trying to do and we're trying to make it so that our kids can dream dreams and achieve their full potential we have in Ed Minnesota and its policies an increasingly problematic performance level in Minnesota we underperform many cohort groups in Mississippi and I'm not dinging Mississippi on that, but that's never what we aspire to. And
1: yet, we and it's not what we were. I can tell you when I was uh, you know, going to school, we were championed as one of the best education systems in the entire
0: country. Top three, over and over again. It's not happening anymore. And then you could say, well, it's it because there's not enough dollars. Hogwash. There's plenty of dollars. We're spending 50% more per student than many other states. And the fact of the matter is the achievement gap is growing. Most teachers recognize that we are in a real problematic area. And so I have said very clearly, the solution is it's some way or another, we have got to inject some competition into the system. When I was on school board, I learned very quickly that you can't expect a school board to literally change the culture of that school district. It has to come from a fire in the belly of the three key stakeholders, the students, the teachers, and the parents. That's where it has to come from. So what we need to do is we need to elevate homeschooling private schools, charter schools, any kind of school. We need to let dollars follow the kids. We need to do it in such a way that there are no strings attached so government doesn't get to poison all these other options out there. And when we do that, what will happen is a rising tide will raise all ships, and you will see the public K-12 through system get on board, and you will see Ed Minnesota diminish in its importance because the three key stakeholders, the parents and the teachers and the kids, they will be absolutely committed to making sure that their school rises to the top.
1: And the diminishing is, Ed Minnesota, you're talking about the public sector
0: labor union. That is the public sector labor union. And they have been Machiavellian in their approach to influencing our society.
1: Yeah, because, you know, I I believe you are supportive of this, Dr. Jensen. For poor kids in particular, for poor and minority kids and and, and others who have not had the ability to get the education that some others uh, have had, uh, money from the state can be provided to allow their parents to make decisions as to what uh, and where their education is provided.
0: Andrew, you're spot on, absolutely spot on. I mean, I spent a lot of time in the urban areas of St. Paul and Minneapolis over the last 15 months. And we are literally holding back many minority kids that just can't, if you will, get access to a better situation for them. I have seen kids in my medical practice for the last 40 years where sometimes something just as simple as changing the school district that they attend, maybe a school district that had a high emphasis on perhaps sports and moving to one that had a high emphasis on the trades or industrial arts or woodworking or metalworking and drafting and things like that. It made all the difference for a young person. Parents know best where their kids will flourish and succeed, where their kids might grow a dream and then go pursue that dream. It's not happening. Ed Minnesota doesn't give a rip about an individual kid. They are all about their power and control, and they have proven that over and over again. And that is why, Andrew, our campaign has been receiving so many checks from parents and a note to go with it saying, never voted Republican before in my life, never donated to a Republican in my life, but this time around, you're the guy, Doc. We expect you to stand up and fight for us. And this is coming from often wealthy, affluent suburbs. We are making a difference. There is a movement growing. And I think that's why you'll see uh, Tim Walz's team just absolutely you know, go after me. They, they know we're over the target because we're going to speak candidly. We're going to speak skeptically and we'll entertain the issues, even if it's a hard conversation, fraught with challenges for someone who's typically po- supposed to be a politician. I will not be a politician.
1: What role, you know, I've been asked this uh, by a few people who were intrigued by your selection of uh, Matt Burke as lieutenant governor. In the past, lieutenant governor has had little or no role unless an emergency has occurred. Uh, what, what is your sense of the role Matt Burke will play, both in the campaign but more so uh, if you are able to uh, get elected and he is lieutenant governor of the state of Minnesota?
0: Matt will virtually be uh, an equal co-partner. I mean, it's like uh, flying an airplane. I, I fly planes for the last 30 years, and uh, you've always got left seat, right seat. And uh, Matt Burke is a person of impeccable character. He is a determined individual who doesn't know how to, to not succeed, and he has a skill set that I don't have. He's got a degree in economics from Harvard. He's a bright guy. We're going to divvy up the work, and we're going to govern Minnesota together in a way that hasn't been done in my lifetime. That is Dr. Scott Jensen, endorsed candidate
1: uh, by the Republican Party to run against Tim Walls for governor of the state of Minnesota. We're going to try to have Matt Burke on the show down the trail uh, to give that one-two punch for the Republican candidacy.
0: He's got a perfect face for radio.
1: (laughs) Well, we we thank uh, Dr. Scott Jensen uh, for being on the show today, and hopefully next week you'll be with us again. Until then... Have a great week.